This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. A few weeks ago, we previewed the 44th edition of the Toronto International Film Festival. From September 9th to the 18th, the world, or at least Canada, got a look at some of the most anticipated films of the year. There were gala screenings of Dune, Last Night in Soho, and Spencer, along with hundreds of other films that got played. The festival offered a hybrid model of in-person and digital screenings, compared to last year's digital-only edition. On today's show, we are going to review some films that we watched, what were the biggest news stories of the festival, and what this means for Oscar contenders. How are you doing, Rachel, and are you still recovering from the festival? I'm good, thanks. And I I feel like I actually haven't finished the festival yet, because I still have a bit of work to do for it. Um, But overall, it's good. Uh, It was quite the experience. First time properly covering it, not just attending it. So it's a different experience. But how you been? I'm doing all right. I I didn't get a chance to check out as many as I liked, but that's fine. I never really do. But can you tell the listeners exactly how many movies you saw? God, I saw 25 movies um, with a couple that I still, three actually, that I still want to watch. um, And hopefully we'll get the opportunity to watch. But yeah, it's a lot of movies in... 10 days. It's a lot. Do you remember all of them? No, I'll admit that (laughs) I didn't. Um, (laughs) I I've, I've had to like write down which ones I watched and kind of like little notes, whether or not I like them, but yeah, I was going through it yesterday trying to figure out like exactly how many have I watched um, preparing for this episode and definitely um, missed out a few. And I had to go back and look at like the digital catalog of tiff just to make sure i didn't miss any which i did well congratulations on having such a successful real first tiff i don't know if you want to call this your real first tiff because you've obviously done it before but your first real press tiff yeah first press tiff i mean which is which is so different than doing it um as an i'm not gonna i don't want to complain but it's one of those you know when you do it as an audience member it's you get to really choose what you want to watch and you know, maybe take a gamble on things that look interesting. Whereas I think when you do it for press, you know that you have certain movies that you want to take, like the bigger named ones, um, which maybe I would have given a miss uh, otherwise. I Actually, I definitely would have given a miss otherwise, um, especially something like Belfast, which I ended up loving, spoiler alert. But because that's coming out within, I'd say it's coming out in a month or so, or, or maybe a couple months that one, um, I don't know if I would have gone to watch it during TIFF and in that place, I would have probably watched maybe some more smaller movies or in uh, international movies. So it's a little bit different, but overall can't complain. Spending about a week plus watching a bunch of movies is not a bad way to, to kick off your, to spend your holiday days. So mm-hmm. why not? How many in-person uh, movies did you attend? Ooh, how many did I attend? I think I one, two. Feel free to, to list them off. <laughs> I did Memoria, France, Silent Night, Belfast, Last Night in Soho. That's about five. I did more than that. <laughs> I actually can't remember now. I'd say maybe maybe less than ten. Okay, somewhere around I, there. I would say I did in person, um, and it wasn't bad, you know. Remember. Yeah, and. You know, in Ontario, we haven't officially launched any vaccine passport or whatever you want to call it yet. But for TIFF specifically, they did ask um, people to show proof of vaccination or a negative test. And the process was pretty seamless, like going in. You just show there was just kind of a double 
check. So it's like when you first enter the cinema, they ask you for your proof of vax or a negative test. And then you go in, then you show them your ticket. So it's just like a two second add on to the procedure, but there were no lines this year. I mean, there's nothing. um, I I think it was a combination of one, no rush lines and two, because they did um, assign seating for everybody. So there's no need to show up say like an hour early. So you, you, there wasn't like standing in line waiting because you had to, you had to wait for like 50 people ahead of you to show um, their information. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I mean, given, given the state of the world, I think that TIFF should be pretty proud of how they pulled it off this year. It's not, it wasn't perfect. I don't think anybody would say it's perfect or say that it's a good substitute for what has happened in previous years, save for last year. Um, but I, I think they did a good job given the circumstances. Nice. Well, that's that's great to hear. I know I remember hearing a story that I think there was a mild outbreak at one of the the Dune screenings. I don't know if that was yeah. the premiere or what. But other than that, did you feel pretty safe? I did, and actually, like I feel like the word outbreak is a bit. I I know somebody who went to the screening, and it was one person tested positive, and I'm not sure how many others ended up going from it but like tiff was very quick to email out and tell everybody who attended that like go get tested if if you know if you need to or if you want to i guess um and the one thing i'll say is they didn't say like don't attend any more screenings um until you get a negative test back which probably would have been a better better way to do it um in general though yeah felt pretty safe um if anybody's gone to the movies in the last couple months or so you'd know that well at least here in Ontario I can speak from experiences when you go to the movies they put like four seats between you and and another party um and like a they scatter every other row so there's nobody in front of you nobody behind you and you've got a pretty wide berth between um you horizontally speaking laterally speaking um whereas at the press screenings they just did every other so it was just literally one every other person and each row was filled. I don't know. It felt okay. Like everyone wore their mask. I didn't see anybody not wear a mask or kind of have a big protest about wearing a mask, which was good. And they didn't sell concessions um, at any of the, at any of the screenings. So nobody had the excuse of like, Oh, well I'm eating popcorn, Um, which I was impressed because I know that that that's how they make a lot of their money obviously is through popcorn and pop and whatever, what have you. Uh, but overall, yeah, I'd say it was safe. Like I, I didn't feel any less safe or any more safe than when I go to, oops, when I go to the movies, um, just on my own, mm-hmm. like in a normal time. Well, we, we know critics aren't real people anyway, so that's why they're like, <laughs> closer together. All right. Well, let's get into some of the top news stories that I feel were, I don't want to say dominating, but, uh, important things to talk about. Uh, the first one, which is a little bit surprising is, Not a single film got sold during TIFF this year. Now, normally TIFF is one of the big, uh, I don't want to say breeding grounds, but one of the the, the big spots for for movies to be sold to distributors. Sometimes movies will already come in with distributors, especially if they premiered at other festivals like Sundance earlier in the year. But this year, there were none sold. Now, that doesn't mean that none will get sold because they played at TIFF, but just saying that most of the films that played, especially the, the gala ones, were already had distribution deals set up, and the few that don't didn't sell during TIFF. So that's definitely very curious and interesting. I'm wondering if, like, obviously international people were there because I saw a whole bunch of people at the premieres, like celebrities <laughs> and what have you, but I wonder if 
there was a limit to how many buyers were there and that they were more were waiting to hang around for screenings in the US because I know Telluride was happening at the same time and they had uh, much more lax rules even though they still needed proof of vaccine or a negative test but they were a lot more welcoming to people and cramming people into theater so i wonder if more buyers were there so that's just something curious to note if that's a trend going forward or this is just a one-off thing i'd also say too coming into canada it it wasn't exactly easy like you had to show i think proof of vaccination but you also had to do a negative test i don't think they had to quarantine because if you had both of those things Um, you're okay. But like, you know, I don't know about other countries, but I know in Ontario, if you want to get a negative test for COVID and public health hasn't asked you to do it. So meaning you just want to go on vacation or something, it costs like 200 bucks. So it's like, it's pretty expensive to get a COVID test to, you know, to attend a film festival and that's to enter the country. So I can see a lot of people just saying it's too much of a hassle to travel to Canada and I'm not going to do it. Um, but also I'd say like, there might be people who just say, I didn't feel comfortable traveling like that all the way into another country. So it's a, it, that's a real shame though. I actually, I didn't know that until you, you mentioned it just before we started recording, like that nothing got sold. And I, I think you make a good point that, um, that a lot of the films already do have distribution and do have sales because, uh, you know, they've been sitting on the shelf for a little while. So is that, and I, you know, Financially, economically speaking, people I don't think have still recovered from everything that's going on, and particularly the show business or movie industry, rather. It's a bit hesitant, I would say, still. I think people can be, you know, intelligently hesitant about why maybe you don't want to invest in everything and anything right now, because who knows if the movie theaters get shut down again and you're just, you're left with this movie on your shelf that you know, in a year's time, maybe people won't care about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. Like, obviously you can't compare things like Dune and Last Night in Soho to Mm -hmm. most of the films Mm -hmm. that play during the festival, but they had, they were supposed to come out last year. Yeah. They sat on the shelf. I know French, the French Dispatch didn't play it, Tiff, but that was another one where it was supposed to be, have its world premiere at Cannes last year and it didn't. So Cannes allowed it to have its world premiere this year at the festival. So yeah, it, it certainly is interesting. I think the other thing is streamers are so much more prevalent. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of films are Netflix films or Amazon prime films or Apple plus films, wh- whatever have you like these movies are getting distribution deals from a lot of streamers and they have no problem picking up the rights right away before they even screen. Yeah. I mean, I, it's kind of a funny thing I found like the there are two movies I can think of The Guilty which was a Netflix movie um and that's Jake Gyllenhaal's new movie with Antoine Antoine Fuqua uh that's coming out in like 2 weeks on <laughs> on Netflix and the other one I'm thinking of is the The Mad Woman's Ball I believe uh, Melanie Laurent is her directorial debut that came out on Amazon Prime like 2 days ago you know, so like the festival is still going on and you kind of think like, oh, it's it's interesting to me that these movies that literally are getting released within within a month of the festival happening. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's the streaming services are definitely taking they're definitely changing the industry. And in, I think a way that maybe we didn't all fully appreciate at the time, like I, I know that we all thought like, oh, like, you know, 
people aren't going to go to the movies as much, but I think that the impact that they're having is actually far greater and far, far reaching, more far reaching yeah. than, than initially projected. So then on the next route, uh, speaking of the movie, the guilty, there were several <laughs> films this year that got leaked, which is a very big yeah. thing that's happening and might change the future of either hybrid festivals or digital festivals. So as far as I know, there might be more, but the power of the dog the Guilty and Dear Evan Hansen all got leaked online with the first two being Netflix movies um, that I, I think that's kind of a big thing. And Dear Evan mm-hmm. Hansen is going to have a big theatrical debut. And after the reviews came out, who knows what's happening <laughs> with that. But then also on the flip side, the Canadian Japanese film Inu O got pulled from digital screeners, which we're now seeing other festivals starting to do the same. I don't I don't think we need to kind of go through all of that because that's one of talking about them on future episodes, but yeah, that's a very big deal. And I can definitely see distributors being more wary about films getting digital releases. Now there, there's a very big difference. We're going to talk about, uh, this movie later on the movie like Scarborough, which is a Canadian film where it's probably regardless of what happens is not going to end up making a ton of money, but something like the power of the dog or the guilty, which is a big Hollywood Mm -hmm. production starring very big famous names this really could impact it like we already knew dune and last night in soho and movies like that weren't getting digital releases the eyes of tammy Faye, stuff like that if they like i could conceivably see if they were getting digital releases we'd be talking about more of them being leaked 100 percent. and i I, such a shame to me like i the idea of a digital festival is so great because it's, I mean, you're, you're over in BC and you were still able to catch a few movies, right? Like that's mm-hmm. to me is the beauty of having digital is you don't, and we don't even have to go as far as BC, like within Ontario, if you live up in Sault Ste. Marie or Sudbury or one of those, you know, far away from Toronto, not everybody has the means to travel um, into a city center to just watch movies. Like not everybody has that luxury to do. And it's such a shame that it's, it's, I mean, it's inevitable. I suppose everybody kind of figured that this was going to happen, but yeah, I mean, it just shows you, I don't, I don't think that they should be doing virtual festivals going forward because even a hybrid model, because even you can get the top security, you can kind of figure it out as best as you can, but like somebody will figure out a way to leak it. And not because I don't think that they want to spoil a movie i think they literally just do it to show that they can do it you know it's like mm-hmm. probably some 14 year old kid who hacked the system because it was a challenge for them so i don't know it's 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 really too bad and at first i thought to me the big one was dear evan hansen like i at first i thought the other ones they're they're netflix movies and i mean they're they were gonna get leaked the first day that they got put out on netflix anyways um not to say that it was okay yeah, but for Dear Evan Hansen, that like you said, it wanted or it was looking for a pretty big theatrical release, and I know that the early reviews have kind of hurt it, but there are a lot of people who really like that play and really love the musical, so I think they were expecting a pretty good, pretty sizable opening weekend. And now I don't know, like I, I are people gonna? Well, it's kind of, that one's kind of hard to tell now because because the reviews were so negative. I do wonder if it's gonna if that's going to impact it or like, can we say it's because it got leaked? Maybe, maybe they leaked it. So yeah, that, there, there's definitely rumors floating around that they did leak it. 
Is, is that seriously? I was just making a joke. Wow. No, that, yeah, seriously, I mean, yeah. To, to combat the negative reviews from critics who don't, you know, who think too highly of themselves and stuff like that, where <laughs> maybe they can get a little bit more positive word of mouth sort of thing. Because I, I almost feel like the Dear Evan Hansen crowd likely is not torrenting movies like if i'm fair enough if, yeah. if, if i'm yeah. in my head being you know i'm a marketing executive who is this movie directed to sort of thing i'm guessing it's more older viewers people who are more inclined to want to go to theaters to go see things and they've likely already seen this show on broadway or wherever other city yeah. might have been playing at that's the type of crowd that dear evan Hansen is going to pull in not someone being like "Ooh, let's look up on the pirate bay to see what's there sorry no free advertisements <laughs> to the pirate bay there um <laughs> And and it's yeah, and the other side about the, the Netflix thing is you're absolutely right. Anytime something, you know, starts streaming on, on Netflix, Amazon, whatever have you, be it whatever streaming service, day one it's there with the full high quality edition rip that yep. it is. So like yes, the power of the dog and the guilty probably came from someone who had a screener from TIFF, but like I'm sure there is digital copies all over the place because of the fact that it's about to launch on netflix very very shortly probably and i mean i think between the two not that oscars or awards kind of matter in this situation but i think power of the dog is the one that's going to really do a big push in award season the guilty i i doubt is going to make yeah. any kind of impression but um i wonder if like how does that impact it like when you have a leak does it impact the awards contention at all because wouldn't they need to have wouldn't they need to have a, a theatrical release? So Power of the Dog would have had a theatrical release, wouldn't it? Yes, it's it's a weird thing. Um, due to COVID, the rules are slightly different. They, I think they're changing them. Last year, they just needed a film to be released digitally, and that's fine. Normally, it right. has to play for right. a week in either New York or LA. And I would not okay. be surprised if if they... Netflix still does that. Like they're, they're probably still going to do yeah. it. They don't mind renting out a theater and having no one go and show up because oftentimes they'll do that. They won't even advertise that a movie is screening. All they need to do is show the receipts that the movie showed for a week. But moving on, uh, there was also a surprise release where people were at the beginning of the festival going through the festival program. And all of a sudden they were like, wait, what's this? Steven Soderbergh has a movie playing at this <laughs> festival. What's happening here? And so there was a whole bunch of rumors about that. He had supposedly been working on uh, two different movies going on at the same time and wondering had he already shot it. There's also rumors that he had been working on a movie kind of like in boyhood style over a long period of time. Was that it? And so a whole bunch of questions and surprises. And it turned out it was a recut and re-release of a 1991 movie called Kafka that stars Jeremy Irons that is now known as Mr. Neff. And it was a black and white movie and he trimmed off 20 minutes, re-edited the sequences of it. And then the last third or so of the movie is now a color film. And I believe most of the film is actually subtitled as well. So very, very interesting. And reviews of it were quite positive, but definitely a, a big sort of surprise. This isn't one that you ended up catching, was it, Rachel? It wasn't. No, I, I'd heard of, and I'm. this is going to sound terrible, but um, I didn't have a press pass to it. So I was like, oh, well, I guess we're not going. But I, I did have a friend who asked me if I wanted to go because she had a ticket, um, a spare ticket. And I was going to, but then last minute I had to bail. Um, but it's, in, it's interesting. I don't know, if, like, I'm glad that people were positive about it. And I think it just shows the kind of people that were showing up to it that would be very receptive to that kind of um, surprise, if you will. 
but I do wonder if you were just kind of, you know, a casual movie fan, although you wouldn't be buying a ticket to this if you're just a casual movie fan, but you mm-hmm. sit down and you think that you're going to watch like a brand new Sodenberg movie. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, it's to reedit of, of the old one. Great. Okay, cool. Um, but I'm glad that it got received really well because I think it just shows how interested people in Toronto or people attending the film festival in particular um, are into movies. And I think that that's awesome. So yeah, I, I don't really have too much to say about it other than I'm, like, it sounds like it was cool. And I want to rewatch Kafka again. I haven't seen that in, I think I've only watched it once and it was a really long time ago. So oh, you'd I'd have be to curious. Seen it before. I have seen Kafka. Yeah. Uh, Kafka I've seen. Um, sorry. Was that what you asked me? I didn't really hear. You. Well, I had asked you if you had seen this version, but I didn't know if you'd ever seen it. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen Kafka. I seen it. I obviously I haven't, I don't know what the recut is. Do you know if, does he have plans to release it? Um, like the re-edit? I'm not too sure. Uh, the article I read didn't specify that. I I'm, would not be shocked if it maybe ends up on something like the Criterion channel or something right, like that. Yeah. Uh, so who who really knows? That's, it's an interesting concept. I wonder what kind of drove him to to do this. Like why, why revisit an, a movie that's, you know, what, 30, 30 years old now? Like what what's, what's the impetus behind that? Um, was he just bored during COVID and he thought, I kind of want something to do? Um, but he did release a movie though, <laughs> like not to, like that. No sudden moves. He did release a movie. So I don't know. I, I'd be curious to know why I, I, my, my friend who went said that the Q and a was really interesting though. She said like he went over the, why he made the changes that he made and kind of the different considerations that he, he took. And so, yeah, it sounded, it sounded like it was a great event. Interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, then moving on to the last news story I kind of want to talk about is uh, there was a documentary about Alanis Morissette called Jagged that uh, premiered. And Alanis Morissette, right before it premiered, decided to disown it. And she says that the movie has a salacious agenda and includes implications and facts that are simply not true. And so a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads. They're like, oh my God, what does that mean? And then they watched it and they're like, <laughs> This is an incredibly pedestrian documentary that doesn't really <laughs> reveal a whole lot. What is going on here? And there's been no real update from them, that from either the filmmakers or Alanis herself. So I think a whole lot of people have a whole lot more questions on answers right now. Did you end up seeing this one? I didn't. Um, not a massive Alanis girl. I mean, she's she's fine, but I've, I've never been a huge fan of her. So it wasn't a documentary that pulled me in. But I think it's an interesting story and in that it brings kind of credence to this idea that if you're an artist or a an, an actor, whatever, and you're going to have a movie made about you, whether it's a narrative or it's a documentary, I really strongly believe that you should either have absolutely no part in it or... um you have passed away since because I think it's too easy that when you're involved directly involved in it, that you want to have a very strict control over how you want to be perceived. And even though it seems like to us, like really pedestrian, maybe there were things in there that she just, she's like, that's not who I am. That's, or that's not how she thinks she is, you know? So I, I have a very strong, which is why, I mean, we talked about this in the, the episode when we were talking about, uh, what movies we were looking forward to in TIFF and why I wasn't too hot on Spencer. It's like, I'm not a huge fan of biopics because I find when they're involved in it, when people are involved in it, it, when the subject is involved in it, rather, um, 
it's too, the conflict of interest is far too high. And I think that this is a perfect example of it where she's getting all in a tizzy about it. And then people watch it and go, I don't really understand. Like you, it wasn't overly negative about you, but I'm sure to her, there was obviously something that she wasn't pleased with. All right. Now I feel like we really should get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. And that's talking about the actual films. We spent far too long talking about news. So we're going to go through this a little bit quickly, but uh, we'll still talk about a lot. So I'm going to talk about the award winners. I'm not going to list everyone. If you want to see a list of all the awards, I will include that in the show notes, but I'm going to specifically highlight some ones that are interesting and ones that we saw. And we'll kind of skip over ones that you have your own awards that you want to give out later on. So the very first big one is the People's Choice Award went to Belfast, Kenneth Branagh's new film, which congratulations, Kenneth, on your Best Picture nomination because nine (laughs) nine years in a row, they have gotten that as we talked about in the last, the TIFF preview episode. You want to talk about that a little bit later, so I'm going to hold off on on getting your thoughts on that. But the first runner-up was Scarborough, a Canadian film that actually ended up winning three awards. It also got the honorable mention for Best Canadian Feature Film and the Changemaker Award. So overall, that was the biggest winner because otherwise, I think every other movie only got one award, which is kind of a festival thing where they only will give an award out once to a movie. So that way it's not the same movie dominating. But yeah, we both watched this movie. And frankly, I'm very mad at you because you did not (laughs) warn me that I would be a uh, crying mess the whole time. (laughs) I'm sorry. But at the same time, I feel like people should just go into movies without knowing what. Because I don't want you to be like, oh, I'm going to be crying. And then you go through it and like you're like, oh. I didn't cry. <laughs> What's she talking about? So I I was really proud of this movie though. Like I'm really happy it did as well as it did. And um it I think it was announced just before the festival started, or maybe in the early days of the festival, that it had oh no, sorry, it was just before the festival started, that it had um had distribution, that it actually struck a distribution deal. So hopefully we're gonna be seeing it in theaters. I doubt it's gonna be a wide release, but it's it's a really great movie about it's based on a book um, by Catherine Hernandez. And in the book, they go over a bunch of different stories um, set in Scarborough, Ontario. And in the movie, they focus on three stories of three young kids. And yeah, it is, it is very sad. Um, there are moments of, of, of pretty deep sadness, uh, but also I think it's also like a very, it's very heartwarming in many ways as well. And I think it shows a community that we don't often see on TV or in, in the movies, um, especially in Canadian media. It's a, and I think it deserves to have some attention made because it's a pretty important city to a lot of people, um, particularly immigrants into, into Toronto. I gotta say as someone who recently moved from Toronto to Vancouver, a lot of that made me really miss the city. There's this (laughs) one little moment where the girl is just, in our head going beep, boom boom and, and <laughs> my wife and I looked at each other like is she doing the ttc chime and then of course the the next yes. cut it shows her standing in front of the subway at warden station which very familiar with that station um i, I the first time i saw it, i'm like hey that that yellow wall that kind of looks like warden station and then she's like getting a jamaican patty i'm like yeah i'm pretty sure that's warden station and yeah. then like when she comes out i'm like yes it's warden station i know my ttc stops <laughs> And I love that they included the the patty as well because Warden that it's like that station is pretty well known for 
Oh, for absolutely. That specific the patty stint. Yeah. And there's always been like a bit of a war between, I don't know which one it is on the West End. I think it's Bathurst Station, um, but I yes, don't go to yes. the West End too often. But I know that there's like a bit of a, like a, a like not serious rivalry between the two, but there's always people saying like, which one has the better patties. But as somebody who was on the East side of the TTC tracks, then yes, I was, I was more on Warden station side than Bathurst. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's a great movie for those of us who like grew up in the GTA. And especially if you grew up in Scarborough, like I, I didn't grow up in Scarborough. My family did live there for a time, but I wasn't born yet. And like I said, it's a very important city to a lot of people. Um, and it's the first starts for, for many, many, many families out there. Mm-hmm. The, I, I'm, I'm not going to say this was a perfect film. I have mm-hmm. some, some issues with it. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of gloss over them. So I'm not really re- revealing a lot, but like there was the, the one rich white girl who seems super snooty. There's yeah. a scene that shows her at home that I thought was completely unbelievable and unnecessary of her dad basically reinforcing this stereotype of they're better than everyone else because they're well off or whatever it is. And, and that sort of thing. And that, that really had no place. And then I'm going to kind of dance around this a little bit because I really do want people to check it out. But there is a, a traumatic scene where something happens to one of the children and it's just kind of told in no real explanation of how or why it happened. And, and frankly, that left me kind of confused because I spent the next little while being like, yeah, but wait, what actually happened there? Uh, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. And I, I would agree with you. I think that it, it's because a movie. I, 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 get, I, I get that they probably didn't want to glorify what I'm yeah. guessing was probably one of her parents' mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and I get that but i still think that they could have either included a line of dialogue about what happened or or show a little bit because they do show a little clip of it in a sort of a, a flashback of a like a, a like a, a two second clip and and i just sort of wish that there was a slightly bit more of an ex- explanation there i'd agree with you i like i completely agree that i don't think the movie is is anywhere near close to perfect i wouldn't say i think that there's a lot that probably could have been done better. I think you could have knocked 30 minutes from the movie as well, I think. And it would have been like, this is one of those movies. I think it's like a tight 90 minutes would have been perfect Mm -hmm. for it. Um, So there are moments where it kind of drags on a little bit and the pacing isn't great. Um, And like you said, there are some, I don't, is it a plot? I wouldn't consider it a plot hole necessarily, but there are things that like questions that I think having the answers to it would have, improved the movie quite a bit yes um but you know overall though it's a good movie i think it's it's one i know like you're obviously recommending it too and Mm -hmm. hopefully hopefully it gets released in canada soon like in the next couple months um because i think it would be a nice it sounds kind of weird because it is a sad movie but like it would be a nice movie like in the winter time for some reason um that Mm -hmm. i'm thinking of i think it would be a nice one for for people to go and check out yeah, and and this this movie stars child actors mostly, and mm-hmm. holy cow! Every once in a while, you'll you'll see some child performances that just completely blow your mind. Especially since they're, they're these kids are supposed to be around first grade, so they're a bit younger than a lot of child performers usually are. And and two of them in particular, Laura, this this one little girl has the saddest eyes I have ever seen. <laughs> and, and you and I were messaging last night while I was watching it, and it's like. 
this this girl is either the greatest actor ever or like I feel like there is a little bit of exploitation going on because there there's no way that this child can look this sad. And like even when she smiles the few times, like I, I was like crying every time she smiled because she so rarely smiled. And it was just like one of those things where just like, how can a child live the life that she has? And then on the flip side, there's Bing, who is just this bundle of energy and joy. And despite <laughs> the fact that he is teased and bullied relentlessly he just has this outlook and in his relationship with his mom and his friend sylvie just like you i just like wanted to like jump through the screen and like give him a big hug and be like it's gonna be okay you're gonna be okay you have the attitude and the resilience to get through this there yeah i i completely agree with you the three the three performs even the the girl the the snobby yeah, sylvie, girl like yeah. Uh, or not, not Sylvie, the other girl, the one that oh, was oh, yeah, the, like, the, the rich one. Kid. Yeah. yeah, I think, um, I think they all did a really, really good job. And being a child actor, it's not easy. Like, you know, not everybody is Macaulay Culkin or, or, uh, who played Matilda? Mara Wood? Anyone say her name is? Mara Wilson? Wilson. No, yeah, Mara Wilson, yeah. Wilson. Yeah, not everybody is going to be them. Um, or, uh, there's McKenna Grace, who's, who's kind of killing it these days. But those, three kids in particular were so 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 good and like the relationship between bing and sylvie i thought was just the sweetest thing in the world like you could really feel like oh they're like such best friends and they're looking out for each other and go for them and then like you said laura i mean tragic and i i really hope that that little girl is okay and that she <laughs> that there's nothing actually wrong in her life because you're right it's how can how can a kid that little have like such sadness in her eyes that can't be that good of an actor can you i hope she is i hope she is yeah, because I, I have no idea but it's you're right it's it's three pretty great performances from the kids and it's not usual i think that you would say that the children outshine the adults in this one but i think that they definitely do yeah i'll, I'll give a, a shout out to miss hina who plays the teacher <laughs> oh she was also so great where i'm just like why are why are there not more people like you in this world the, like yeah <sighs> Just, like just thinking about this movie just like makes me want to cry again it, it, it yeah. was it has so so much emotion to it and it captured so much vitality in in issues that are normally so overlooked in society like i almost sort of feel like this is the type of movie that like i could see someone like sean baker make yeah good shout out sean really good yeah uh, and then last shout out I want to say about this. It was really funny. I was watching it and then uh, there's one of the, the mothers works in a salon and towards the end she's working on this older white woman doing her, her feet and she's like, no, you can massage me harder. Deep tissue massage. I like that. I'm like, hey, this looks like this woman I know. I start making a joke <laughs> to my wife about it and I look it up at the credits and, and sure enough. Uh, Ann Shepard, shout out to Ann Shepard. I stage manage a friend show that she started. Um, and yep. So that was someone I knew. <laughs> That's really funny. It's like, I mean, yeah. the Canadian film industry, I don't think is massive. So like, it's cool, but like, I love that. It's such a small world. Like you're just watching this random thing that you had no idea she was going to be in. And then, and, and it's in like such a random role too. Mm -hmm. Where she was only on screen for like 30 seconds too. She made me very uncomfortable though. I have to say, cause I didn't know what her deal was in that scene. I was like, why is she asking for like such a deep massage? Because it was, it just made me uncomfortable. I, I thought, oh, this feels weird. All right. So we're going to move on a little bit. And so the second runner up for the People's Choice Award was The Power of the Dog, which was the new Jane Campion film. This was one that you did not end up getting to see, right? No, I didn't. 
Well, we'll see it on Netflix unless you really want to look on the the high seas to download it because it's already out. <laughs> I heard it was good. Um, like a lot of people are saying, like one of the reasons I didn't want to watch it because I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch does great with like American accents. Um, I think he's a great British actor, and when he's when he plays British, he's excellent. But sometimes when I find him doing American roles, uh, it's a little shaky. But everyone that like I said that too, they're like, no, 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 he's really, really good in this one. So. I don't know, maybe best actor for him. He, yeah, he really does look like he he's at least security best actor nomination. Yeah. And he at, right now looks to be the front runner too. So moving on, the next award that I want to highlight is the documentary second runner up, which was Flea, a movie that you had highlighted as one that you were anticipating. And did you end up catching this one? I did. I did. And it's actually got one of my quote unquote awards that I'm giving out. Oh, so right. I'll yeah. So, my, you know, I'll hold your thoughts on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the People's Choice Award for Midnight Madness was Titan, the new Julia Ducarneau film. Did you end up catching that? I did. And uh, it's weird. Is it as messed up as everyone says? It's real weird. It's real weird. Um, <laughs> but I think anytime you say like body horror, like that's such a weird genre to me that that's even the thing. Um, I mentioned that to a friend of mine who she's not really into movies. And she goes, that's a thing. I go, yeah, apparently it's a thing. Um, but anytime you get that kind of genre, I think that you're looking for something kind of odd. The funny thing is, though, I, I talked to somebody else who had seen her previous movie, Raw, and they were like, it's very similar, but like Raw is weirder. So it kind of ended up, I think, for people who are really, really into the body horror and into like the really, really weird stuff, Tatan might not have been weird enough for them, <laughs> you know, but like it's, it's it's very weird for, I think, like a, a general mainstream audience. Um, but it's because the movie basically, to me, it has like two halves. You have the first half, which is super strange and whatever. And then the second half kind of becomes almost like a family drama, but like in a weird way, but it is, there is like a family drama element to it. Um, which apparently a lot of people were like, eh, like could have been weirder. And I'm like, she had sex with a car and got pregnant. How much weirder (laughs) does it need to be? Like, I don't get how it could have been weirder, but it's interesting. And I think it's, it's. It's honestly the perfect Midnight Madness movie. Like if ever Midnight Madness needed to hold up like a definition of what they're, what kind of movie should be showing there, it's definitely a movie like to 10. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I am very excited for this movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the next one I want to highlight is the Midnight Madness second runner up, which is Dash Cam, which is getting a whole <sighs> hell of a lot of press for a whole lot of bad reasons. I do, I don't and like the people who voted for that movie I really need to talk to them like I this is one of the I have to say one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life and I don't I don't take any joy in writing or like speaking negatively about a movie but it was just such a mess of a movie and there's nothing redeemable about it it's not scary in my opinion I didn't find it very scary like it was more annoying to the point that I just wanted the main character to die just so that I didn't have to keep watching (laughs) stupid movie. Like I was like, this is such a waste of time. Like, it's not even like I wanted her to die because she was so annoying. She is annoying. I just wanted the movie to be done. I was like, this is stupid. And I I don't know why I'm wasting 90 minutes. And then the thing is after the movie's done, like an end credit pops up and you go, Oh shit. Like I have like, I guess I should watch it. And it's just her rapping. Like, and you're like, what the hell am I doing? It's just, yeah, it's, um, I clearly didn't like it and I don't, 
I don't see what's redeemable about it other than people wanting to like it because everybody's hating on it. Um, it's I'm, so interesting yeah. because I'm seeing sort of two different things. In the Twitter world, everyone is absolutely shitting on this movie, saying it's the worst thing they've ever seen. And yet on Reddit, especially on the TIFF Reddit page, a lot of people are fairly positive about it and saying that they really enjoyed it and that they're glad they got to see it in a theater full of people. And I, I'm just not understanding this dichotomy. I, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't. I like weird movies. I like horror movies. But this was neither. It was just like just the biggest waste of time like i to me it was just the biggest waste of time that i i could have i heard people saying this they're like i would have just rather watch host again and i'm like a hundred percent i would have watched host like three times over instead of having to watch this piece of crap um and that that's what drew a lot of people in that that's what drew me in was the fact that the directors he directed one of the like the coolest most inventive horror movies that i think we've seen in a long time and then he comes out with this hot mess. And now I'm like, I don't think I trust you to watch more movies from you. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know where he goes from the, from here. But yeah, was not a fan, clearly. Yeah. Rob Savage, the director, uh, just got put on a whole lot of people's do not watch list, including my own. Like, for anyone that isn't sort of familiar with it, the main character in Dashcam, it's about a woman who's driving during the pandemic and she's live streaming her drive, but she's basically like this pro-Trumper, anti-vaccine, insane, you know, right-wing conspiracy theorist person. And a lot of people were like, wow, that's a great character, until they looked at the actor's Twitter and realized <laughs> that, nope, this woman is actually insane. And yeah. a whole bunch of the crew, from the director to the producers to other people that worked on the film, have gone on to basically defend her and her views which are super dangerous like frankly at this point if anyone is anti-vaccine you're a dangerous person to society and like i i'm never going to support this person i don't want to give money to them and the fact that blumhouse has spent the last few years trying to position itself as being you know uh, a friend to people who often don't get their voices heard and the minority groups and, and different things like that like they just threw all that out the window because they're defending the movie as well. That, that I think that was the big thing for me too, is like, I think halfway through the movie, I thought maybe this girl's just a really good actress because she's really pissing me off. And like, she's really, really effing annoying. Um, and then I looked her up too and I was like, ah, well then. <laughs> so it's not really, they, I think they said it was like an exaggerated version of who she actually is, mm -hmm. but even if that is like a fraction of the person that you are, like the things that she did in that, I'm just like, why are we, why are we giving a spotlight to this? Like they have the spotlight, that sect of people have the spotlight on social media and in, in like mainstream media as well. Like they get a good chunk of time. So I don't know why we need to make a movie that highlights this. And it's like, it's not even like a, they don't condone it. They don't nothing. It's just, this is just who the character is. So I don't know if they're trying to be like, you know, subversive and alternative and things like that. But overall too, regardless of character, it's just a shitty movie. Like it's not good. And I, I really don't understand how it got that many votes for midnight madness. The only thing I can, I could guess is that a lot of people went to watch it because of Rob Savage. And I guess enough people, maybe they didn't enough people didn't go watch the other midnight madness movies. I don't know, but I, I was, very disheartened when I opened my email and I read 
that they got the second second runner up, right? Yeah, second runner up. Yeah. Very yeah, disappointed. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and then the last award I want to highlight is the winner of the Best Canadian Feature Film Award, which went to St. Anne. Was that one that you had caught? I didn't. I actually really wanted to watch that one, too. I thought I thought it looked really interesting, um, but yeah, I, didn't get, I get, didn't get around to it. I believe it's basically getting a full festival run for, for Canadian festivals, so we will have more opportunity to catch it, and I'm sure we will. Yeah. But yeah, so those are, those are the big awards. But, Rachel, you made up your own awards uh, inspired by the TV show Friends. So take us through your friendly awards then. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, Thank you. Carrying on from the Midnight Madness kerfuffle, is what I'm going to go call it. And one of the reasons I think I was so upset about it is because there was a great, 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 great movie as part of the Midnight Madness um, catalog or program this year. And it was a Senegal movie called Saloon. And so they get my award for the one that surprised me because I didn't know anything about it. I had been the PR person for the movie reached out to a, a bunch of people, obviously, I think the entire press list to say, do you want early screening? And I didn't take it. I wish I had because I think I it would have been really interesting to talk to um, the director. So it's a feature debut of a director named Jean-Luc, apologies if I butcher your last name, Urbula. I tried to be a little French with it. Um, and it's about, yeah, it's about three mercenaries um, who are on the run and they end up in this village called Saloum in Senegal. And in this village, it's filled with, I don't want to give too much away. So it's filled with kind of like, supernatural spirits i think is the best way to describe it and it's a thriller it's a part like partly a western as well which i think is really really cool like there's some really blatant western elements in there which i think fit really nicely but it's one of the most interesting movies that i've seen um probably through the whole festival to be honest it's i always look for the one movie that um that for me it's like my takeaway from it the one that I'll always remember this tiff because of that one specific movie. Um, and I think Saloon is going to be the one for me because it's just, it's different. It's shot really cool. Like it's shot in a way that kind of reminds me of nineties movies, action movies, but not at the same time. Like it's just in the styling, it's very stylistic, uh, but not overly stylistic, which I think it gives that kind of nice balance too. Um, very thrilling, very, it's the pacing kind of, there are moments that it kind of falls off a little bit. Again, not a perfect movie, but I don't think, I don't think there is such thing as a perfect movie, quite frankly. Um, but it's just one that really surprised me and one that I, it doesn't have distribution at the moment. I really hope it gets it. I think it'll do really well on more festival circuits, um, but it's, it's an incredible movie. And anybody, if you see another film festival or if it comes out on VOD eventually, fingers crossed, definitely, definitely go check out Saloon. And that one should have awesome. been the Midnight Madness runner-up, by the way. Just saying. There you go. Uh, so I, I have an award for this, too. So the one that surprised me was a movie called The Middleman. This was a Canadian-Norwegian film directed by Bent Hammer, I believe is how you say his name. And uh, it, it has a pretty big Norwegian cast, but because it's also a Canadian production, it also features a lot of Canadian talent, including people like... Paul Gross and Don McKellar, who are very much known for mostly their comedy. I know Paul Gross has done quite a bit of drama as well, but he's a pretty funny guy. <laughs> and so I went in expecting this movie about uh, a man who gets hired to be the bearer of bad news in a town that has some weird and mysterious accident to be a pretty funny satire. And what turned out was much different than that and was a meditation on grief 
and loss and what happens when towns are dying and a whole bunch of other really depressing subject matter. And it culminated in some final scenes that I was really worried that this film was going to get a hell of a lot darker than it actually ended up being. I'm not going to go there and reveal what it is because if people do want to check it out, they might feel the same way. But yeah, this was a this was a movie that was far darker. This might be the least funny dark satire I have ever seen because I think I might have let out like an audible, you know, nostril laugh a couple times early on, but this movie is not funny at all despite the fact that it's a satire. And when you say nostril laugh, do you mean you just like snorted? Yeah, like a little yeah. bit of like uh ex- exhaling of air through my nose like hmm. Oh, that. Okay. So not really a laugh. Just like, eh, no. okay. Interesting. Yeah. Like mild, I'm mildly abused right now. That's a winning endorsement for any movie. Um. But it's real. It is a really interesting film. I won't say it's great, but it definitely is really interesting. And it's the type of movie that after I finished watching and I, as I was writing my review, I started changing, not changing my opinion, but rethinking what it all meant in i think there is a dark um how do i word this almost fantastical element that is not explored but is sort of implicitly stated underneath everything like through the subtext so it's very interesting and you start to wonder is there something more nefarious at play even if it is never shown sounds very mysterious I, I yeah. Wanted, yeah, I wanted to watch this one, but I'll hopefully get around to it in the next few days. Um, okay, so my next award is going to Flee, my documentary. Uh, my documentary, I didn't make it, but it's the one that I was like. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's the one that I was looking forward to the most. This was the movie that I was, it was my most anticipated movie. And I'm very, very happy to give it the award of the one that lives up to its hype because it really is as wonderful as people told me it was and as wonderful as um, I had read online that it was. It's a documentary about um, a man named, they give a pseudonym named Amin um, in the movie. And it's about how his family fled from Afghanistan and as refugees going to, they had to do a pit stop in Russia and then eventually made it into uh, Western Europe. It's an animated documentary. It's incredibly touching. It's really moving. It's really, really gripping as well. Like it's one of those documentaries that it tells a story in a way that it really leaves you on the edge of your seat. Like you just can't wait to know what happens next. It's an incredible story. And it's it's not a story I don't think unique to him, um, but he's the one that gets to tell it. And so it puts in perspective really what people go through to to escape their situations for a situation that we might take for granted. Um, I know we're not obviously in Western Europe here in Canada, but like we're pretty, I mean, this is a pretty great country to live in as well. So um, it puts those things in perspective and I believe it's getting a theatrical release in the next few months. I don't know the exact date, uh, but if you see it in your theater, go and watch it because it's, it's honestly such an incredibly moving um, piece of, of film and it, you know, if you're not into animated, don't worry. Like it's the animation is really beautiful and it complements um, the story really, really well. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting because this movie was actually uh, produced by Riz Ahmed and Nikolai Coster Waldo, who is from game of Thrones. 
Um, so yeah, this is, this is definitely going to get some, some buzz. It is probably going to be in contention for best documentary and maybe even best international film. I, I, I don't quite know if it, if it will be submitted for that. Um, and then it super long be. shot for, for animated feature because usually more serious dark films do not get <laughs> nominated for animated. Um, they save those spots for Disney Pixar only apparently. But well, I was yeah, going to so say what else? I was going to say what else is out there though that is going to take cuz not too many animated movies came out this year I don't think. Well there's a ton of international ones and smaller budget ones we just never hear about it because Disney yes. Pixar takes up all the space. Uh but I mean, yeah, definitely yeah. this this is going to be a contender for best documentary. Yeah. I don't know if it'll make the final 5 nominations but it's one that people should keep an eye out for. 100%. It's pretty pretty great. Um okay so the next category is the one that didn't didn't quite meet expectations. So whether it's our own expectations or not, I know you have one for this, so I'll let you go first. Sure. It's yeah, it's pretty easy because it's one that we both ended up seeing. <laughs> and that was a movie called The Forgiven, which was the new movie starring Jessica Chastain and Rafe Fiennes. And this movie is just a a whole lot of of mess. <sighs> where where do I start? I- <laughs> because <sighs> It, it's directed by John Michael McDonough, a director mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of. I talked about this in our preview episode, I believe. Uh, but yeah, John Michael McDonough is he had previously done uh, two films that I was a fan of: Calvary and uh, I'm, I'm blanking the the guard, the guard was the other one. Yes, the guard. And I know you had seen War on Everyone, and we're, we're a fan of that. <laughs> and he's the brother of the the director who made In Bruges and the terrible three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. So Mm -hmm. clearly both brothers are are going on a trajectory of let's make shit movies now. But (laughs) wow, uh, this movie advertises itself as like a thriller-esque movie where it's about this rich couple driving through the desert in Morocco to go to this lavish hedonistic party and uh, on their way Rafe finds who's driving accidentally hits and kills a young Moroccan boy and then it's about what happens with that are they going to try to cover it up are they going to be able to bribe the police do they need to do that and then the boy's family ends up showing up and, and that sort of stuff but really this movie sounds interesting it's not I know this movie was shot during COVID and we need to be a little lenient with that, I guess, but that was the lamest hedonistic party I've ever seen in my life. That was just a bunch of rich people enjoying brunch. And that was about it. Like there was, there was nothing crazy about these parties that were going on. And that was so frustrating. And then the thriller aspect of Ray Fiennes having to travel across the desert to be present at this little boy's burial service was the most boring thriller I've ever seen and a very um, not so surprising reveal, I'll just say. But but it all sort of boils down to the fact is this movie wants you to, I don't know if like sort of change allegiances of who you feel bad for, or whose side you're on. And every time new information sort of comes out, it just makes me go like, yeah, I still don't like any of you. It doesn't matter. Like the people that were wrong, the people that were in the right, everything. I don't care or like anyone in this movie. I found for me, this is one of those movies that it thinks it's really clever. Like it thinks it's saying a lot yes. and really providing some like damning social commentary that we've never heard before. 
And oh no, rich people are assholes. Yeah, like who knew? Um, but what it ends up doing is being one, not like not making anything, any statements that are like not known, like common sense known. Uh, but also just like whatever they did want to make a commentary on, it was incredibly shallow. Like it was just not thought provoking. It wasn't, they didn't really go deep into anything. I agree with you that there was no thrill. I, I had no thrill. There was nothing thrilling about this movie whatsoever. And it's a, it's a shame. Like they have a good cast. I actually like the performances. I know that you weren't too, too keen on, um, uh, you you're a big Chastain fan, but you didn't think she was like mm-hmm. like normal Chastain self in this one. I I thought everybody did a good job. Like Matt Smith, I particularly liked his performance in it. I thought he was quite good. But yeah, it's just I there were multiple times watching this like throughout the movie that I just went, oh, this is the point. Okay, this is this is where this is where the movie is going to make its point, and then it doesn't happen. And I'm like, okay, oh, this is the point. And then by the end of the movie, I just sat there and I thought what was the point of this movie? <laughs> like, why, why yeah. did this need to be made? Like, and I, you could say that about any movie technically, like, why does any movie need to be made? But usually movies will give you a reason that, oh, this is great entertainment. It's good art. It's good. You know, it is good social commentary. There are tons of movies that can do it really well. This one though, is just, it's not as bad as dash cam. I'm going to say it's not as bad as dash cam, but it, I just didn't see the point. And I like, should probably point out Dakota and I are, we're a bit in the minority on this one because I know that the reviews for it have been middling to good, like middling to pretty good. So, um, yeah, I, I've definitely yeah. seen more positive reviews yeah. than negative ones. I, like other than yours, I don't think I've seen like a, a true <laughs> negative review of this movie. Yeah, I, and I yeah, I've I've heard that uh, um, somebody else got like a little note from Sue thanking them for their review. For, for, for thinking i'm not receiving any thank you notes for that review but i mean i thought it was fair i don't know i again i don't like shitting on movies i really don't but some movies just aren't great and it's tough making a good movie like don't get that like don't get me wrong but yeah that especially with the cast like that like that's a pretty stacked cast and you got a good director so i'm 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 a little confused of how they went wrong there because it just was a very one note bland 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 film let's put it this way there was a movie that i saw during the festival that i'm not going to name that i really did not care for and i don't want to i don't want to crap on that movie because it's not fair like the budget levels were completely different the the level of star power involved was completely different and and where is something like this where this is a director who has a lengthy track record of being pretty solid of being a subversive filmmaker and making you making you question things and making unlikable characters likable. And then I almost feel much like three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, where I have such a visceral hatred for that movie, (laughs) but I feel like I am one of the only people that like, I'm like, can you not, can everyone not see all these massive flaws of this movie, of this terrible, terrible movie? And like, I know they're brothers, so it's, I can't exactly compare it one to one, but like, I'll compare it a little bit where I'm just like, once again, like, are they so like what what's happening? Did their skills, did their talent, did their success go to their head where they think they can just like shit out a movie like this and have people as great as Jessica Chastain and Ray Fiennes and Matt Smith and Caleb Landry Jones, who's also in Three mm-hmm. Billboards, who just gives this such sniveling, whiny performance in this film. Oh my gosh, what a waste of his talents it was. 
and and like a few others even even like the middle eastern actors they're they're all solid like i like those performances are the most part i can't really critique too much i can critique some of their character arcs and their choices that were made but that was made by the writing and the directing of this film not by the performances and i'm just like flabbergasted every time i was seeing a positive review of this movie because i'm just like oh, did we watch a different movie this movie was god awful it's it's like it's interesting to note too that this is quite a different movie for mcdonough as well like this doesn't it's yes. not like the guard it's not like um uh war on everyone like it's it's not the same tone and it's certainly not the same genre so i don't i mean hey props to him for kind of like maybe branching out and trying something a little bit different a la edgar wright and maybe the next time he does it it'll be a little bit better but yeah no not a great movie not a great movie and if we like let's move on because i don't want to yell too much more Okay, so the next one, I think you'll be very happy about this one. This is the one that exceeded my expectations, and that's going to Spencer. So I was saying I wasn't really looking forward to this movie. I still do have a bit of a bugbear about having a movie about Princess Diana. I just, I don't know, it doesn't sit really right with me. But I went to go watch it. It's pretty good. Like, I have to admit, like, it's it's a good movie. And... I like Kristen Stewart. She's a great actress. I think people know that now. Like I don't, I think her and Robert Pattinson have shed their twilight, you know, shadows, if you will. Um, She's a great actress. And I think she does a good job as Diana. Like you can definitely see the work that she put into it in terms of the accent, the movements, all that kind of stuff. Like nitpicking at it. She's very breathless in it. Like you can hear her, her breath quite a bit in it. Um, I don't I don't think I've listened to Diana enough to know if Diana did that. I think she might have done it a little bit, but like I will say there are probably times that it felt like Stuart was doing a bit of a a bit of an impression. And I, I have to admit, sometimes when you're looking at her, she looks nothing like Diana, right? Like and it's it was at times kind of difficult to move away from, oh, that's Christian Kristen Stewart. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki is playing her Princess Diana in The Crown. And I think just facially speaking, looks a lot more like Diana. So anyways, mm. those are the things that I kind of have a little bit nitpick on. However, the movie itself, I will say, I do think Kristen Stewart did a really good job. And she's getting a lot of buzz right now for Best Actress. And I think it's, it's pretty well deserved. It's a great, it's, it's a really interesting movie. Um, it's not a straightforward biopic. It's a little bit different. Like it's a little like kind of have moments of like surrealism and it does paint it a bit like a horror movie in a way. And I can see why they wanted to do that. So um, actually I should like, so it focuses um, specifically on Christmas day or Christmas Eve and Christmas day. Um, And this would have been, I I wouldn't say this is the day that like Diana and Charles decided we're going to, get a divorce but i think it does lead to this was the moment that diana knew she had to get out she had to get out of the relationship because it just wasn't it wasn't working and it was you know quite literally driving her mad so i think it it stuck that landing really really nicely um one point i do want to make that i think i haven't really seen it made but i like that the film doesn't villainize charles um because i've always thought this is just my own opinion about the royal family, but like, I don't think Diana and Charles really ever wanted to marry one another. I think that they were both kind of forced to, because that's just the way things were done back then. So um, I'm kind of happy that they didn't 
point a finger at Charles and saying like, you, you're a monster who led her to this. I mean, she got into something that I think maybe was a bit over her head with uh, being a part of the Royal family can't be easy, but overall I, it's a good movie and I think it does deserve all the hype that it got. And um, I will do like a good 180 on that because I know I said I did, I wasn't really looking forward to it. And I know you're going to like it actually, Dakota. I'm pretty, pretty confident you're going to like it. Why, why would I like it, Rachel? Well, it's a what period piece. It's a period piece. So oh, it's it good. Is, it's good. Is. You'll love it. It's a, it's a good period piece. It's got British accents. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. <laughs> it's going to be a great. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you've nailed me down to a T. All right. Yeah, I, I'm super excited. The reviews of this movie were all completely glowing um, to the point where there was almost a bit of like of uh, 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 discourse going when on Twitter when it came out, people being like, see, oh, I told you Kristen Stewart was great. I'm like, yeah, a lot of people have known that she's been great for a while. Who are, who are you arguing this imaginary argument against? Like, it was literally just the Twilight movies that sucked. And that was more so the writing and the direction than the performances themselves. But like, yeah, I'm so excited to see this movie. And I'm so glad that you liked it. And and yeah, much like we talked about how Benedict Cumberbatch is probably a front runner for best actor, Kristen Stewart looks like to be the front runner for best actress at this point too. Hundred percent, and um, like very, like I said, very well deserved. I think she did a really good job, and I think she, I think she exceeded a lot of people's expectations. Because to your point, like a lot of people being like, "Oh, like told you she was great." I think there are still some people out there who haven't seen her other movies since Twilight, and same with Pattinson. Actually, I would say that because both of them went the route of doing more indie movies, so they weren't too like big kind of blockbusters to do. Like I'll. I'll call my brother out here he was not happy when he found out pattinson was going to be the new batman and i was like why i go he's amazing because he's the stupid idiot from twilight and i was like no like he's done some really good movies <laughs> and i've shown him to him since and he has since retracted that statement but um yeah it's it is kind of funny that i feel like now because this movie is a lot bigger and um i, I suppose mainstream so i think that like a wider audience is really going to appreciate the fact that Kristen Stewart can act. Funny enough. Like, who knew? Who knew? Yeah. All right. What is your last award? So the last one, um, and I saved this purposely because it, it right now is probably one of the, my favorite things that I've seen this year, like in uh, general. But it's going to be the one that I think has the best, best picture chances. And, of course, that goes to the People's Choice Award recipient, Belfast. So Belfast is – it's – it's going to be a movie I've already kind of started seeing it online where I think people are going to want to hate it. Like they're going to love to hate it. It's not a movie that you're going to go into that is going to blow your mind or change your life in any way, shape or form. It's just a really well done movie. And it's, it's Kenneth Branagh, in my opinion, it's his best movie that he's ever directed. Um, it's a coming of age tale that's set in 1969 in Belfast, um, obviously. Uh, it's it's about his own childhood growing up when the Troubles were first starting in Northern Ireland. And there was a lot of violence uh, and a lot of division among different neighborhoods. And there were families, not just Branagh's, but many families out there who had to make a pretty tough decision of whether or not they wanted to stay in Northern Ireland or if they wanted to leave because um, I think especially in Belfast, where most of the violence was concentrated, it the idea was, did you really want your kids to get involved in that or become uh, victims of it? And 
The thing I personally like about it so much is that you can really feel how personal this movie is to Branna. And I think that goes for any artist out there who makes something deeply personal and intimate. Us as audience members, I think we have a very good bullshit barometer, whether or not we realize it. Like we can tell when people are being a little fake and it's, you know, it's not exactly authentic. This one is very, very real and very authentic. And you can tell just how personal it is to him. And so I really respect that. And I, I think he did a phenomenal job. It's shot really, really beautifully as well. It's in black and white for the most part. There are a little bit of color scenes um, in it. It's really funny. Like it's got some really great humor. The lead actor who plays um, Buddy, which is Branna as a child, um, is his name is Jude Hill. He's a first time actor. He's amazing. Like he's so cute and he's really funny. Um, and kind of like Scarborough, like it's nice to see these kids, like child performances doing really, really well. Um, and Jamie Dornan is in it as well as Katrina Belf, who she is someone who I think um, will probably also be in the the discussion at minimum for best actress um, for a bunch of different awards because she's phenomenal. She plays she plays Ma, the buddy's mother, and she's the one that's kind of saying, no, we need to stay here because we're Irish and this is our home and this is where people know us. This is, you know, I, I the whole street looks after, after our children. Um, and Jamie Dornan plays Pa, the dad who's saying like, I think we got to go because look at what's happening. Um, the end of the movie, Brana. So if anybody knows Brana, if you've ever heard him speak, he has a very, very English accent. Um, but, and the reason for that is because his family did end up leaving um, Belfast and the end of the movie, it ends with uh, the movie being dedicated to the ones who stayed, the ones who left and the ones who lost their lives. And it's a really poignant movie. It's really impactful um, and it's just wonderful. And I think that right now, given all of the negativity that we have in the world, I think it's kind of nice to have something that's a bit more optimistic, um, especially coming out of something like the troubles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. So we talked about on our preview episode, not entirely sure where Branna's career is at because he's had so many flops of recent years and and not just you, but it seems like everyone is really falling head over heels. And if you look at sort of the history of People's Choice Award winners, more often than not, they are crowd-pleasing types of films, ones that it's sort of easy to get behind, not necessarily the, the deep, dark, brooding ones that maybe are sort of the more prestigious films at the end of the year and through Oscar season, sort of to say. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really a shock that Belfast ended up winning People's Choice. I think what's interesting is the fact that it won and it is so well-liked almost universally across the board. So that's really interesting. Definitely. I joked at the top about Belfast being nominated for Best Picture, but you know that's basically a foregone conclusion at this point. And I'm sort of curious what you think of maybe if any of the other aspects of this film are, are going to be involved. Is Sean Black and White, do you think as a shot of cinematography or any of the actors maybe going to be nominated? I know you mentioned uh, Karina Balfi. It, will Branna get a director nomination? I, I'm curious about your thoughts on all that. I would say Branna gets a, a, a directing nomination, maybe even writing. It's a good script. He might even get a writing nomination, but that would be to me like a, that's kind of a wild card. Cinematography, I can definitely see it getting that. Um, and Katrina Bell, for sure. I think she's going to, I actually think she's going to get a Best Actress nomination because she's she's pretty incredible in it. Uh, I'm trying to think what else might. Production design, maybe, um, because it, it's, it, they did it really, really nicely, like showing 
the streets of Belfast and the houses that are there. It's, it, it's, it feels very like, like authentic and real. So it might probably not actually. Now I think, but I, I think that usually they like to do something maybe a bit more kind of snazzy and snappy. Um, I would definitely say though, picture, director, actress, cinematography, maybe writing, maybe writing. Interesting. Yeah, I can see this as maybe being one of the films that has a lot of nominations, but maybe doesn't win any of them. Uh, every year there seems to be like a couple films that like get like between six and eight nominations and walk away with like one award. I agree with that. I actually, I don't, as much as I, like I, I had said, this is the one that I think has the best shot at getting a best picture nomination. Um, or I just said best picture, but I actually think it would surprise me if, if uh, it won for best picture. I think the category it probably has the best shot at is honestly director because I think Branagh really, really did a good job. And I think that that kind of the fact that it's based off his childhood and things like that, like I think that that kind of pulls at the heartstrings sometimes for for Academy members. And I think that they'll um, appreciate that. Like he meant so I went to um, what do you call it? The gala presentation at Roy Thompson and they had a and a after with Kenneth Branagh and Jamie Dornan. And Brana mentioned that he very casually mentioned, he's like, oh yeah, I showed it to Chris Nolan um, <laughs> as you do. And Chris said, uh, you know, it sounds like you've been working on this movie since 1972. So I feel like directors are very wow. keen to look at it and understand like, this is a very, very personal work for Brana. And so mm-hmm. if they do win anything that night, I think it's going to be director. I, I really don't see it winning best picture. I think th- what it'll do is like you said, get nominated for a bunch of stuff um, might not have, I don't know if it'll go like go goose egg, but yeah, I, I would say if I would put money on it, having not seen, obviously there's like a ton of movies to come out still that are going to be in the awards contention, but I, I would say director. Interesting. Okay. Well, the last thing I, I kind of want to get your opinion on just very briefly is if, uh, we didn't mention any films or performance or aspects that you think might be Oscar players, uh, throughout the run. I would say no, apart from Belfast. I know that people are talking about Jessica Chastain for, uh, what is it, Eyes of Tammy Faye. I haven't seen that yet, so I'm not too sure. I think Flea, I, like we said, Flea, definitely for documentary. Um, I think it would be a great add-in, too, for, for Best International Film, in my humble opinion. Other than that, though, to be honest, I, I, I think that's a common thing that I've seen about a lot of people talking about TIFF this year, is that the movies feel very like nothing is blowing your mind. You know what I mean? Like there's, mm. there was nothing mm-hmm. in here that was like as exciting, I think as in previous years. And that, I don't know if that's Tiff's fault. I think it's just simply we've kind of run into a weird stopgap in films that are still being um, like films that had production held up. So, you know, maybe they're not ready because they just went back a few months ago or something like that. So they're still editing and things like that. Um but yeah, I have to say, I don't think I saw anything other than Belfast that truly I said, yeah, that that's definitely going to be um, an awards contender. I think I, I like I didn't see Power of the Dog. I did see the power or the electrical life of Louis Wayne. I think if that was Cumberbatch's only movie this year, I think he might have gotten a nomination for that. It's, it's pretty delightful. It's a, it's a nice movie. He's really good in it. Um, but because Power of the Dog seems to have more. Um, sway or power if you will uh i think his dog movie will outdo his cat movie so 
it's basically it's basically Benedict Cumberbatch's year is is the dog movie and the cat movie. So, um, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. I think. Did you find that though when you were looking like at the list for the TIFF movies? Like, was there movies that you thought were really interesting or stood out to you? Um, it's so tough. I know I'm involved in some like movie film communities where they all think that they can predict who's going to win the Oscars like two <laughs> years out. And I, and I just always have to laugh because 90% of the time, most of the movies that you think are going to be big Oscar players either aren't. And then one, movies that you've never heard of end up being the big breakaway ones. Like who would have thought Nomadland yeah. a year ago was, was the front runner for best picture, like nothing or promising young woman, stuff like that. Like it's so easy to be like, great. I'm just going to look at the list and be like Dune last night in Soho, power of the dog, uh, Belfast, there you go. That's half the best picture lineup. I'm sure if I if I kept thinking of of other names, I could very easily fill out ten movies of which could be best picture nominees. So yeah, yeah it, it's so tough. But but yeah, I think based on on the buzz and everything like that, I think you're you're kind of right. Where it doesn't seem like there's a whole bunch of movies jumping off the page that played at TIFF that look to be big award season contenders, other than maybe Belfast confirming that it is actually a good movie in, in Kenneth Branagh, classic Kenneth Branagh is back. Hopefully. I will say, actually, I'm going to ask that the, there was a movie called the humans um, that came out and right. That one, Stephen uh, Kama, I believe is his surname. He probably will get, I would say maybe he has a good shot at like best adapted screenplay. Um, I, I think cause his screenplay is quite good. Yeah. I like that movie. I, I know that there've been a few that kind of people said, Oh, it might be, I don't know if it's going to be awards contender though, to be honest. And, it's one of those things that I think that if any of these movies, again, aside from Belfast, that does it, it just kind of shows me that maybe the strength of the films this year isn't that great. Um, which, I, I mean, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, so I don't, like, you know, we can't be too harsh on the film industry right now that they're not churning out the, the big works that they have in the past. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's unfortunate, but... Um, I hope at least anybody who watched it like found some stuff that they were interested in or that they took away from it and that they, they really enjoyed. And hopefully, you know, some of the smaller movies can get some distribution deals and we can get more variation in cinema, not just Shang-Chi. There we go. Sorry, I don't know why I just yes. took a dig at Shang-Chi there, but <laughs> it's bothering <laughs> I me. I don't really know how to. <laughs> because they're like literally have taken up every like cinema space right now. And I'm like, there's some great movies out there. And Shang-Chi is just in every single cinema. And I'm like, that's like a month old now. It's not a month old, is it? Just feels like a month old. Yeah. I, I really don't know how to transition this uh, smoothly. <laughs> so I'm just going to go right ahead full force. This wraps up our coverage of the Toronto International Film Festival. But like I said earlier, we will have plenty more great festival cover coverage coming your way. Rachel, what have you been working on and where can people find you? Gosh, there's just been an onslaught of TIFF coverage, um, mostly between That Shelf and Exclaim. Um I'd say I'm, I'm as of right now, I really quite enjoy my Belfast review. So you can check that one out. That one's on, um, it's on exclaim. And yeah, also I was blogging kind of the whole time that I was doing TIFF and I still have to do, put, get my last day up, but yeah, I was blogging, um, kind of every day. Some days I cheated a little bit and backdated my posts. Uh, but it was just, you know, kind of a follow along of my experience of, uh, covering TIFF for the first time. I read the first three. I need to go back and read more. But yeah, they are delightful little blogs. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so look for links 
links in the show notes to that sort of stuff and go to rachelkh.com because once again, you forgot to actually mention right. that website. <laughs> right, rachelkh.com. Right. Yep, and Twitter, it, Instagram, underscore rachelkh. I'm great at selling myself. There you go. It's good. I'm good. Of course. So great. So great. Uh, but you can also follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod and let us know what movies you saw during TIFF and your thoughts on them. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. Uh, if you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.